are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I want to read this verse one more time, okay? James chapter 1, verse 12. It was just one verse. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast or perseveres or endures under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Amen? The Christian life is not a sideline life, okay? In Christianity, you can't be a spectator. Like, you can't, you can't just watch the football game, celebrating the touchdowns and going through the struggles of brutal tackles and then expect to lead the game unscathed. No, you got to be a part of it. You got to be involved in it. Christianity is a get-in or get-out-of-the-way type of faith, type of life. I remember speaking with some Buddhist friends when I was in Cambodia, Buddhist monks to be exact. Essentially, this is what they were saying. They understood the pains and the sufferings of the world. They understood that the world was problematic and that people were problematic as well and that society was problematic and different cultures and different things like that. There were issues there, and so they understood that, and so their solution, their response was to distance themselves for the sake of purity or really just for their own sake. This is what makes Christianity so different from all other religions and why it makes us also the poster child for what a religion should not be, at least in the eyes of the world. And that's because Christianity gets in your face. Christianity is confrontational. I want you to turn to the neighbor and say this. Look at them in the eye and say, this is Christianity. It's very much in your face. It's do or die. It's almost militant, which is why they've been categorized as radical sometimes. Do you know how easy it is to live in isolation? Think about the times when you're having a rough patch in your life, a rough season. Maybe relationships are, maybe your relationships, they're not going too well. Maybe you're facing ridicule for something. Maybe you're just tired And what happens? What's the automatic response or thought that crosses your mind? I want to get away from this. Isn't that the automatic response? I want to get away from this. Why? Because we're all at flight risk, aren't we? We'd all rather just step aside and and not think about it, not be concerned about it. But no, God will not allow his people, God will not allow his children to get away so easily. In fact, he says, did you get hurt? Let me mend your wounds. Let me equip you with more love and more compassion. Let me put you back on your feet that carries good news. And now get back out there. Live and love. Share the gospel. Fight for the lives that are doomed to an eternity in hell. You see, if only the unbelieving world knew that we weren't, as Christians, selling some gimmick, but that we're actually pointing to the way of salvation, a cure to cancer, of all cancers, the cancer of sin. Now, I read the other day of one of the, you know that show, Duggars? That's not what the show is called. It's Duggars something. I forget what it's called. But there's a reality show called the Duggars something, sorry, right? And essentially what that show is about is that there's this Christian family, and they have a reality TV show, and they've had it for a few seasons, and they're considered one of the most wholesome groups out there. They're not perfect by any means. None of us are. 
But by comparison to the Kardashians or Jersey Shores of today, they're pretty darn wholesome. Okay? So anyways, they have 21 kids. 21 kids. I don't know. Maybe they want to live tax-free for the rest of their lives or whatever the issue is. But they have 21 kids. Now, people think they're crazy. And here's the reason why they have so many kids, and a lot of people don't understand this. When Michelle and Jim, the mom and dad, were pregnant with their second child, it was a difficult pregnancy because her body wasn't responding well to the second child when she got off the birth control. After some time, her body unfortunately rejected her unborn child, and she and her husband had a miscarriage. Now, if anyone's ever had a miscarriage, it's a devastating thing to happen in someone's life, in a, in a family's life. And so this left her and her husband completely broken. And so they cried out to God, they repented, they sought healing, they asked for guidance, and they asked, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to reveal to us? And it was at that time that they swore to God and to each other that they will never stop in any way the beautiful design of natural procreation, which is why they really kept their word and had 21 kids. So that's their story, okay? So that's a little bit about them. Now, Here's the thing. They have a daughter, one of the older ones, and she just recently got married. And she and her husband are preparing to go out as full-time missionaries. And so I read this article online, and it had a comment section. Naturally, I was bracing myself for the typical responses of the non-believing masses. And sure enough, they all said what you would expect. They said, why is she and her husband going to Nepal? They're going to Nepal. Why are they going as missionaries? Nepal doesn't need missionaries. They don't need evangelists. Why are they going as evangelists? And, I, and I'm toning the language down a lot, by the way. Why do Christians keep thinking that we all need what they believe? And the comments went on and on and on. And by the way, they're going into the city to help rebuild the city after that devastating earthquake. And also to preach the gospel. Remember, Jesus not only fed people spiritually, but he fed them physically too. They went to aid the people, to help physically, but to also bring spiritual nourishment. Physical aid goes a long way with the, when the gospel goes with it. Amen? But this is what the Christian life is all about. Even in the face of adversity, they're going, they're getting, they're getting dirty, they're going deep. It's not waiting for something cleaner, nicer, more PC to arrive. No, it's about getting into the mix, getting dirty, doing what God is calling us to do. We are called to get into it. Turn to your name and say this, it's time to get into it. Now, here's the thing. I chose the title, No Auditing in the Christian Life. Has anyone ever audited a class before? No? Okay. <laughs> okay, auditing. It's, it's, it's like this. That feeling of doing work or having actual responsibilities as a student, it sort of evaporates if you're auditing. Okay? I, I remember for one of my, uh, I, took a, I took a break from one of my Greek classes. Now, normally you're supposed to take Greek 1, Greek 2, Greek exegesis 1, Greek exegesis 2, and then all that stuff. But there was about a year difference when, uh, because the class wasn't offered and everything like that. So I had to break, and which meant that I had to refresh my memory, right? And so the professor, he said, you know, it's, it's, it'll be uh, good for you to audit one of the classes. And I was like, okay, I'll audit Greek 1 again in order for me to go to the next step. And so I took that class, but here's the thing. I could take the quizzes and tests and all that stuff, but it wasn't being counted. I already passed that class. And so what I do? While everyone's like starting, 
I'd have my Starbucks coffee. I'd just walk in, just sit down. I'd be like, oh, yeah. I'd be sipping my coffee, just casual, not really caring or worried about if my classes, if I was passing, which I, again, have passed it. So it wasn't that big a deal for me. I was casual about all the things the teacher was assigning. Here's the thing. If you audit a class, you may get involved in the lecture discussions. You may raise your hand a bit and add a comment, feigning that you know what's actually going on. But in reality, if you're not actually doing the hard work, if you're not taking the class for a grade, then it doesn't matter how many times you raise your hand, you'll have nothing to show for it in the end. We as Christians cannot audit, cannot sideline, cannot stand aside as spectators anymore in this life. You get that? We cannot. Which is why as challenging as Nehemiah was for us for this past year, James, I'm excited to say, is just as challenging, if not more. And here, just from this one single verse, we have been given this direct challenge by God. You could even call it an assignment on what we need to do as one who professes the lordship. Lordship in Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? The first point addresses what God wants from us. God wants us to be loyally in love with him. That's the first point. To be loyal to him by loving him when we are tested and tried. Turn to your neighbor and say this. God wants us to love him. Now, when we go through difficult times, what do we do? We typically respond one or two ways, sometimes both. We either quit or we get angry or we angrily quit. Right? Instead of quitting, we're called here to persevere. In other words, to patiently endure. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Steadfast or persevere means to abide under. You see, when our trials, it seems too much for us, when we feel so overwhelmed and the load is too great to bear and we're just about to throw in the towel, God says, blessed is the one who abides or stays under the pressure of discipline, the pressure of refinement, the pressure of sanctification. He says, blessed are they. I think that some of the greatest lessons that I've ever learned in my life wasn't when things were good. It wasn't when I didn't have any problems or any pain. I have grown the most, I have learned the most, and I have drawn closer to God the most when I found myself in a position I thought I could not escape. Those times when I honestly felt like I was stuck just between a rock and a hard place, or I just simply felt I was at the lowest point of my life, no escape, bleak outlook, when I felt almost utterly hopeless. It was during those times that real change began to happen in my life. When I was down there, in the pit of despair, when I thought I got nothing else going for me. But the key difference is, when you're at that low point, God says, remember me, and don't quit, don't give up. God, he wants you to persevere when the heat is on. He wants you to remain loyal to him, and don't squeal when you're hurting. Don't quit, hold fast, because as you endure and as you persevere, even if it seems like you're sinking lower and lower, God, he will get you out, amen? So stay true to him. Abandon all other things, but do not ever abandon God. Abandon all other things, but do not abandon God, for the Lord has not abandoned you. And so how do we cope then? 
How do we deal with the burdens of life? How do we manage our pain and our trials? And a lot of people, when they're going through trials and difficult, <coughs> difficult time and tribulations, they think, you know what, I'm just going to distract myself. I'm going to just immerse myself with other things. And so what do you do? What happens when you break up in a relationship? Oh, out comes the haagen Out comes Netflix. It's not just for girls. Come on. We do this too, guys. Stop lying. You just eat more. <laughs> what happens? There's something called rebound, isn't there? You fixate on another girl, another guy. Why to get your mind off of your first love or whoever it was? You distract yourself. You immerse yourself in books, movies, TV, YouTube, Facebook, friends, alcohol, sex, vacations, whatever. I want to get away. Distractions hurt more than they help. They numb. They don't. They, they numb rather than heal. Here in this verse, we're given an interesting ointment to apply to our wounds. He says, it's not distractions that we need. We need love. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, it says, which God has promised to those who love him. That's the key. Persevering, okay, is not about being distracted so we don't see or feel our pain. Perseverance isn't about gritting our teeth and just getting over it and, and dealing with it. This is what God is saying perseverance is. Perseverance is actually, in the midst of your trials and tribulations, loving God more. Ooh, that's hard. Are you kidding me? In my pain, in my sorrows, you're saying I need to love more? Husbands and wives, whenever you guys argue, you just want to say the most vicious thing. Say this, I love you. <laughs> now they could take it as an insult. It's like, I know what you're really saying. That's what God is saying. Love him more. That's what perseverance is. Loving more. Loving God means, God, I trust you even though I feel like I can't, even though I don't get what's going on. God, I know you even though I feel like I sometimes don't know you. And God, I worship you even if I don't feel like it. It's believing that God, that you know and I don't, that you know what's going on in my life. When I have absolutely no idea what's going on, I don't know where my career trajectory is heading me. I don't know what the relationships that I should be pursuing. I don't know anything what's going on, but God, you have a plan and purpose for my life. I trust. I have to trust. I have no choice but to trust. Remember when Joseph's brothers hated him so much? You got a sibling that hates you that much? Hated him so much, they sold him into slavery, and then they had the audacity to go back to their dad and say, yo, dad, I'm sorry, but Joseph, he just got eaten by an animal. I know it's crazy, right? What happens after that? If our, if our Joseph and I was up in Egypt and I became second in command, oh man, I will be thinking about the most intricate revenge to get them back. But what did Joseph do when he's confronted with his brother, brothers after so many years have passed? He says in Genesis 50, he turns to his brothers and they recognize who he is and they, he says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, am I here to judge you? He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Amen. That is crazy. 
Joseph was not and could not and is not excusing his brother's wickedness or actions. No, he's not saying, oh yeah, it's, it's bygones, let bygones be bygones. I'm going to brush the fact that you tried to kill me, that you sold me under the rug. He's not doing that, but he understood that God was in control. And here's the thing, and this goes back to my point. He loved God more than he hated his brother's wickedness. Do you love God more than you hate your pain? More than you hate your circumstances? More than you hate all the things that are going on in your life, your confusion? Do you love God more than any of that? Loving God more is what will get us through this life. Loving Him less will make us feel like our temporary circumstance feel like an eternity of hopelessness. So not only does God have a requirement for us to love him more as we persevere, but he also has a promise for us too. He's not over. He's not done. He's got, I got a promise for you. The second point is this. God, he promises <coughs> to bless you as you endure and because you endure. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now how can a person be blessed while they're suffering? while they're being tested. That sounds almost ridiculous. I mean, just imagine going to a person who's suffering and be like, you're being blessed. Oh my gosh, if I ever sat down in one of my counseling sessions, I probably wouldn't have any more counseling sessions. That's hard. It almost sounds like a lie. It sounds like when a dentist with a drill in his hand says, okay, you're only going to feel a little pressure. You're like, yeah, right. Or when a teacher says, <laughs> I said this too, actually, in my discipleship classes, I go, you're really going to enjoy this assignment. I doubt it. Or when a dad, has he ever done this to you? When he's about to punish you and he says, oh, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I'm like, really? Then why am I the one crying? Some things are just hard to believe. And yet God is saying this, in the midst of our trials and tribulations, you are being blessed. I don't get it. I think it would just be easier to tell people who are suffering, sorry, your life sucks. You're cursed. There's nothing you can do. You're hopeless. That seems a lot more appropriate. Sounds, sounds a lot more real. So how can people be blessed from their trials? It sure, because let me say this, it sure isn't fun being poor. It sure doesn't feel good to go bankrupt. It sure doesn't feel nice to be in poor health. It sure isn't fun to be made fun of or get hit with criticism or struggle with inner conflicts or emotional pain. It sure is not fun being afraid or losing a job. Man, it is not fun. It does not feel like a blessing whenever we fail miserably in life. None of that sounds fun. And yet, we're told here in this single verse that we are blessed that seems hard to believe. In fact, maybe James just got it wrong, the author of this book. Maybe James has no idea what it means to suffer. Maybe this apostle lived a cush life, like one of those, like, you know, televangelists. Oh, I got my Bentley, my Ferrari. Maybe this guy is just loving life. Maybe he has never felt the pains of poverty, persecution, and, 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 or, and pain. Maybe, well, let me tell you something about this guy named James, okay? He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, just like I said in my first sermon weeks ago. But during that time, he was persecuted throughout his ministry. 
He experienced the joy as well as the pain of pastoring and facing spiritual and physical and emotional opposition. But not only that, get this, James was thrown from the top of the temple over 100 feet down when he refused to deny his faith in Christ Jesus. And when the people discovered that James somehow survived the fall, persecutors ran down and beat him to death with a club. This guy, this guy is saying, you will be blessed when you abide by, when you endure the trials and tribulations. This word blessedness is not being blessed in the trials or from the trials necessarily. No, this verse is saying that the ones who will be blessed are the ones who endure the trial. Those are the ones who will be blessed. The ones who last. The ones who fight through. The ones who trust God. The ones who keep going. Now, we have many things in our arsenal to help us move forward through our trials. We got the fruit of the Spirit. We have fellowship of God's people. We have freedom from guilt and condemnation. We have the joy of the Lord. But most importantly, we have the Holy Spirit walking with us every step of the way. You see, we're not alone in this. We got God. We're okay. We will go through it hand in hand with the Lord. But the blessedness here is not just about this life or this moment of trial. Verse 12 says, When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. What? What's that got to do with me now? Now in scripture, this idea of crown is mentioned throughout scripture and used in several different ways. In one instance, the crown of flowers expresses joy. In another area, the crown of gold represents royalty. In another part, the crown leaves, the crown of leaves was awarded to the victor in the games. And lastly, there was a mentioning of a crown that expressed honor and dignity. And what's interesting is that all these crowns I spoke of are things that people typically, usually don't have. Especially when you're going through a hard time. I mean, when you're suffering, are you really filled with joy? When you're suffering, are you, do you really feel like you're in a position of authority that you've got to say? When you're suffering, do you really feel like a winner? A victor? Do you really feel dignified? No, we feel stupid. We feel embarrassed. We feel foolish. But here God says to those who are to those who endure the test, to those who love him loyally, these saints will experience the crown of life. Not physical life. Not, yay, no more pain, or yay, no more financial debt, or yay, no more relational sorrow. No, no. This crown is a promise of God that promises all those who endure to the end the joy of full glory of eternal glory, the promise that we will reign not as the CEOs and the most famous celebrities and the, and the top 1% in this world. No, that we will reign with the king of kings. The promise that we will not just have a, a good win or we may be able to 
overcome a couple battles in our lives. No, no, no. But that we will have eternal victory having overcome sin and death. And finally, the promise that we will forever be honored as the royal family, the precious people, the treasured children of God. This is the crown of life. The closest analogy I could think of when thinking of this is like what it would be like to be a mother who's had a baby. Now, having gone through it with my wife, if you're, I got, you know, my wife, 26-hour labor, Jesus is my first hero. My wife is a, is a pretty close second. I mean, it's just, I just can't even, words fail me right now. If you were to probably, if you were to know and understand what a, what a woman goes through, you would think, why on earth do you want to have kids? It's, it's shocking. There was mourning sickness. I don't know if this is going to be TMI, but I don't care. There was mourning sickness, nausea. There's a super discomfort of carrying low or carrying high. When your baby rides low, then you always got to go to the bathroom. If you carry high, you can't breathe. Moms can't hear an amen. <laughs> oh, did you all have mid? Okay, well, how lucky. There's a frustration of late pregnancy. You just want the baby out. Get out of me. Or early pregnancy, the fear of prematurely giving birth is also the unforgettable experience of labor. But even after the baby is born, it doesn't end there. Nope. No, it doesn't. I remember <laughs> I called one of, my, one of our brothers out here. And we went to the hospital when um, they gave birth. And, and then I, I said, oh, man, and you, look, you look so tired and everything. And he's like, he's like, it's okay. Once we go home, I'll have plenty of time to sleep. And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I needed that. What happens? Now you're ushered into sleepless nights, dirty diapers, 8, 12 diaper changes a day, feeding every two hours. Do you guys want to have kids now? Constant crying, constant paranoia if the baby's okay, and all that is added and accompanied by crazy expenses. No more casual anything. No more date nights, unless you hire a babysitter. For years and years and years of potential heart-wrenching problems, and you think, why would anyone want to go through that? Because we know that despite the hardship of pregnancy, labor, and parenthood, that by the grace of God, it is a blessing to have a family. It is a blessing to have a family. To, someone, to have someone who looks like, acts like, and loves you. I can't wait for the day, years from now, when Grace and I, we have our amazing silver gray hair. And we're sitting around in our dining table to be able to just look upon our children and their children. God promises blessedness when we endure the testing he sends. And he promises that it will be worth the trouble. This crown of life. This joy complete, this freedom from all things for all eternity will be worth the wait. Turn to your neighbor and say this. All this right now will be worth it. It will be worth the pains, worth all the things that you have to endure and persevere through. And I don't know what troubles that you're currently facing today. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's spiritual. But God, he calls us to joy in our troubles, to love in our pain, and to trust in the midst of our confusion. God, he knows what's going on in your life. 
He knows. And he knows that what you're going through in your life, it has a purpose. It has a purpose. And we might not get it right now, but it is a purpose that will become known as we trust and walk out in obedience. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we can no longer just stand aside and just allow things to be. Instead, no. Instead, when there's more pain, brothers and sisters, we're called to love God more, no matter how hard it might be. When there's more confusion, we're called to trust Him more. God requires us to love Him when we're tried But he promises us that we will have all of who he is and all of what he has when we endure to the end. He says, rest in me, fight along with me, alongside me, and persevere. Don't lose heart, he says, brothers and sisters. That is the Lord's word to you today. And that is the Lord's promise to you today. Do not lose heart. Don't give up. Love him more, even when you can't. Even when you feel like it's done, even when you feel like you're running on empty, the Lord says, love me more and trust me more for it will be worth it in the end. Romans 8, 17, I end with this, says, now if we are children, we are heirs, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, then we will also share one day in his glory. Amen? Let's pray. There are just so many things, Father, that it's just hard to make sense of. Because, Lord, many times the difficulties we face, it seems so big and so intimidating that it's hard to get a glimpse anywhere else. But, Lord, here your promise is as clear as daylight. But even though it's your promise, it's hard for us to trust. It's hard for us to really know if we can follow your words. But true faith and trust actually happens as we walk out in obedience. Father, for you are not a God who goes back and forth. You are the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are a God who is unchanging. You are a God who is all love. You are a God who lavishes grace and mercy. You are a God whose heart is full. You are a God who, who saves the sinners. You are a God who truly is righteous and stands for justice. Father, you are God and God alone. Though we may not understand your ways, Father, I pray that you help us to trust in you, to abide in your character. 
Lord, I don't know what's going on in the lives of these people here, brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and friends who are still perhaps seeking and checking you on and trying to you know, test and probe, are you for real? No amount of logic, no amount of sermon or, or brilliant illustrations will convince them otherwise. So Lord, I just right now want to relinquish my role and ask for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit come, open their hearts, just as you've opened mine almost 20 years ago. And prepare my heart, or prepare their hearts to receive you. They can't see you right now, Father, because they're still blinded. But I pray in the name of Jesus, those scales would fall right now. That they would witness the true glory of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Open them, Lord. Open their minds. Open their hearts. Touch them, Lord. Break down that barrier that's standing in the way. Chisel away at their callousness, God, whatever it might be. And free them. Free them, Lord. Jesus, we know that you are the only way, the truth, and the life. There's no one else, and you are the image of the invisible God. As we worship you, Father, Lord, we know, God, that you are honored as we worship Christ. Lead us throughout today. Open our hearts today. And for anyone here right now, Lord, who's still having a difficult time, but who is in a relationship with you, God, I pray that these words would just really resonate within us. May we love you more. May we love you more. May we love you more. May we check our worship and make sure even regardless of whether we feel it or not, that we will still give you the worship that you are so worthy of. May we love you more. May we trust you more. May we seek you more, God, because you are God. Lead us this time. We thank you. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to give you guys just a minute. Pray your own prayer. Meditate on the words that you just heard. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, hear it. Obey it. Pray over it yourselves. And as we pray, we'll have the praise team help us with the last song.